as we continue our Sermon on the Mount series, we're almost the end of the series and the Sermon on the Mount itself. Let's begin with the next section that's coming up. The chapter 7, as I said, Jesus is making concluding remarks, starting with verse 13. And in, in that regard, the distinctive part of this sermon is that Jesus is presenting radical choices. The Christian life is at the fork of the road every corner of our lives. To choose God or to choose the world. To choose ourselves or to choose Christ-centeredness. And then verse 13 and 14 was about the two roads, wide or narrow. And today, we're going to actually face two trees, good or bad trees. In the coming week, uh, two more messages. I can't believe we're winding up finally. Uh, Two disciples, uh, two true or false disciples. Everyone who say, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of God. It's a really stern warning that we will hear. And it is actually about commitment to true profession of saving faith. Just the mere profession of faith will not allow us, lead us in, in, to enter the kingdom of God. And then he finally finishes off with two builders, wise builders or foolish builders. And it is a Jesus' way of calling each one of us to commitment. And today, the true trees about is false prophets versus true prophets. I think we need to think about this first as we begin. Verse 15 gives us the introductory statement quite an alarming way. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And NIV translates it ferocious wolves. One of the ways, most important ways to read and reflect on scripture is paying attention to obvious things. Let's pay attention to obvious things before we get into the instruction itself and how to uh, identify and, and discern false prophets. If you look at the sentence itself, Jesus is presuming or presupposes three things. There are three presuppositions that are important to our study this morning. Number one, false prophets exist within the church, even today's world. And I will say many false prophets exist. Why do I say that obvious things, even almost intellectually insulting 
things. Because if we would treat this passage as if it's a figurative speaking or Jesus is kind of conceptualizing his teaching, no, he's warning us. Watch out. Why? False prophets exist. And secondly, another presupposition is timeless objective truths exist from which false prophets deviate and distort. And this is a hard one for us to swallow because we're living in a, such a relativistic world and not only relativistic morally, relativistic truth out there, and constantly the postmodernism reconstruct truth as a subjective truth. It might be true to you, but it, not, might, it might not be true to us. And that's not even just the world at all anymore. Within the church, what is a common thing you hear? Oh, that's your interpretation. You believe, you might be right. I believe this, I might be right. There isn't relativistic truth. If Jesus were believing that, he would not warn us about false prophets. False prophet means it's they're teaching falsehood, lies. There is a truth, objective truth. Yes, no human being can absolutely for certain on certain type of interpretation. But we have to admit this. Reading honestly, intellectually honestly, the, any part of the scripture, we need to know the author, the Holy Spirit himself, has an intent. His intent as a meaning. That's the truth. We might disagree on that intent. And when we, we become honest about it, there are some obvious things that it is objective truth. In the church history, they used to call that, and we are still calling that, essentials of faith. You cannot believe about deity of Jesus or not. You cannot believe both. One is right and one is wrong. You cannot believe resurrection bodily and figuratively. One is right, bodily resurrection or figurative kind of Elvis Presley being alive with us. One is right and one is wrong. You cannot believe Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus waited to God. At the same time, we cannot believe. Believing that, we cannot believe. All roads lead to the salvation. As long as you're sincere. Number three, presupposition. False prophets are not easily detectable. We think that false prophets, so wearing a name tag, little, little, you know, 
I am the false. You know, if you look at uh, all the cartoons and then and even the the superhero movies, the bad man, including bad Batman, because everything's dark and black, and he looks really like evil. Somebody, someone turned him. I don't know the full story. But in real life, Satan comes as an angel of the light, Scripture says. And he's influencing these false prophets. They might look very charming, popular, well-received and respected in the religious circles. Sought after because of their speaking, their abilities, and their, their charisma. But and yet, John Stutt's word may be, sorry about that, helpful for us to summarize what I'm talking about. In other words, a false prophet does not announce and advertise himself as a purveyor of lies. On the contrary, he claims to be a teacher of, of the truth, knowing that Christians are credulous people. He conceals his dark purpose beneath the clock of Christian piety, hoping that his innocuous disguise will avert detection. And in, the, in just a few minutes, I'm going to reveal that. Let me forecast one other thing also, too. Not all false prophets have an intention in his heart. Why? Because the lies that they're leading with, they're deceived themselves. And those are the even more dangerous ones, aren't they? The one is the truth. And he knows he's lying, and he knows he's using people to get to somewhere, to get wealthy and to get fame. But some of them really believe this lie. And then going to the, the path of destruction, taking so many people along with it. So I want to do a couple of things as we look at and the scripture, today's scripture itself. The first one is let's find out a little bit about what the scripture says about prophets and false prophets and why they are dangerous. And then we're going to get into how do you recognize false prophets. In this scripture, in verse 16 through 20, Jesus gives clear guidance. And by the time when we finish our worship service today, we should be equipped with those three things that we could use to recognize and discern who the false prophets of our day. Okay, let's start with a prophet word itself. A prophet is one who speaks for God and from God, not necessarily about future prediction. Because sometimes when we say prophecy and 
prophet, we automatically think about someone who's making prophecy about the future, especially eschatology, the, the end-time theology. No. Throughout the scripture, the central meaning of it is that one prophet is the one who speaks with God's authority. So when you do not speak with God's authority and pretend like you're speaking with God's authority or you are called and you're given those messages from God's authority, you are false prophets. In Jeremiah 27 15, uh, Jeremiah was very lonely, weeping prophet because there's so many popular prophets who were there in his time. And they love what there's, the people of Israel love what those false prophets were saying because it, they're, they're popular, they're positive, and they're for the nation of Israel. But Jeremiah is basically, give up. Give in to God's will that God's going to discipline us. And we're not going to be captives. The kingdom of Babylon. What? And these false prophets sound like a very patriots also too. God. Yahweh, the Almighty God, is with us. God will never let us be captives, be slaves of this Gentile nation who doesn't fear God. But God says, I have not sent them, declares the Lord, but they're prophesying falsely in my name. Because of greed and because of their self-seeking glory. Turning to Old Testament, I mean New Testament now, false prophets are also called and known as false apostles. And Apostle Paul was persecuted because of false apostles and false brothers and false teachers. And false Christs and simply liars. These are all synonyms of false prophets. So in our days, we could think about false prophet. Who claims to be false prophet? Everybody's, some people don't even use the term pastor or teacher. So they might not be really included in that. No, any spiritual leader who speaks with the authority of God's word. How distorted, how distorted it might be. In a sense, a prophet. And in a sense, who deviates from the truth is false prophet. Why are they so dangerous? Because they, they're dangerous... Because they're not, they're not outsiders who are mocking Christianity. They're not atheists. They're within the church. They're insiders. And they're deadly and poisonous because they're 
ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. Deceptive and dangerous. They are deceitful. As I said before, not only deceiving adults, but deceiving themselves, a lot of them. And because of that, they are obscure to detect. And many of you know, I mean, old enough to know Jim Jones' story. As a cultic leader, he actually started as a regular pastor and very charismatic uh, pastor in you know, Northern California. And, and then people actually loved his charisma, followed him in South America and living in their commune together. More than 1,000 people, including children, commit suicide along with Jim Jones. That's a false prophet. I mean, the second person in charge of the whole community was a Stanford grad lawyer who actually, the last minute of it, he dropped out and he came, to, came back to that commune to save his six-year-old son only to find his dead body. Young son's bed body right next to Jim Jones. If that is a primary example of false prophet, we will be scared and be watchful about all the things. And 100% found out he is a false prophet. And later on, stories come. His healing of cancer and disease and people spat out this, like, a bloody thing. It actually found out as a part of the kitchen or chicken organ, bloody chicken organ they're spitting. It's, it's made up, in other words. But the warning that we need to hear today is there are actually popular preachers on TV, on radio, and around us who might not be fully found out, who might be still questionable, but drifting away, deviating, and distorting, to a certain degree, we should be alarmed. And let me make one thing very clear. Our church is not exempt. The reason why we have elders is a plurality of leadership is New Testament wisdom. When I preach, I might be self-deceived. We might lead with strength and confidence. I might be misleading myself. Then you are to hold me accountable. Pastor, that's not the way the scripture says. And then our, our elders are spiritual leaders. I'm one of the elders in that sense. So today's message is not uh, a licensing to each one of us to be a witch hunter. You know, there are people, a naysayers, 
Oh, I get, I get creeps whenever I get those emails or, or people who are just dark. Everything that say it's about something wrong with this person's teaching and that person preaching. Except about themselves. The whole websites are, so many websites are dedicated to heresy hunting. Jesus called to beware of false prophets. It's not for us to be a heresy hunters or witch hunters. We are to be positive. We are to give each other affirmation, give each other benefit of doubt. But at the same time, we are to be alert, be watchful, pay attention. That's the key. But the reason why we cannot say strong words, the many of those things are uh, that pe- people, false teachers are teaching, may be so right on. And you feel better after those kind of preaching. Feel good. And Jeremiah was almost stoned because speaking truth, the message that he heard from God. And then he was weeping to a point that God, in my translation, I can't do this anymore. You, do, you have someone else to do it. And obviously, Jeremiah comes back to his faithful ministry all his life. He had to speak the words that are cutting, word, cutting words to his own people. Who will speak the truth in our generation? Having learned about basics and foundations, now let's get to the practicals. In verse 16 through 20, gives us clear idea. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from the thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. We would do that even to teach others to emphasize something. We will intentionally repeat. Not because it's difficult, but because we want to stress the point. Verse 16 and 20 it's actually the same thing. You will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 20. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Why is this? Physical appearance or their gifts, their charisma, personality, you will have a hard time to discern what's on the outside. They're still popular. And if you criticize any of their teachings, you might be marginalized. 
But how do you discern? How do you recognize false prophet by fruit? Aha, uh -huh. we generally know what that means, right? So anyone produces something, that fruit is, determines the quality of truth. That's right. The good tree never bears bad, bad fruit. And bad tree never bears good fruit. So therefore, judge a tree, discern a tree by its fruit. Very simple thing. Then what are the fruits? Number one, false prophets reveal their true identity in their character. So their teaching may be correct outwardly, and they might say very inspirational, right-on truth, but their character and life do not follow their own teaching. That's a false prophet. Just because they use the right words and very encouraging godly principles, that does not mean they're true prophets. Character, in other words, what Christ looked like through of the Holy Spirit is a person humble, is a person submissive to the scripture, is a person joyful, is a person thankful, is a person Continually live, live in faith, hope, and love. But what happens is the people who are popular, and any, any uh, leaders, the larger the church and larger the organization, there's a more temptation. There's a sense of entitlement because that person is special. That person can do certain things. It's okay. He gets mad, but it's indignant, angry for God. Or a lot of sexual temptations come because these people who are so busy and so driven with the success of their ministry in the name of God's glory. And then, as I, as I mentioned before, I am not excluding myself from that because our heart is always mixed bags with motives. And I would say in my, in my previous ministry, 80, 90% I had a good motive. And there is that 10% of motive. And I'm going to give you an example of how you should pray for me too. After a long day, I don't have a long days anymore. Because I, I thank God I, my drivenness is... You know, at least on a regular basis, gone. After long days of working hard and meeting with people, strategizing and counseling and all that, I come up late night and there's a sense of entitlement. I need some rest. I need some encouragement, affirmation, reward. A little bit of Pornography, a little bit of other things, alcohol, and my, to comfort myself, to encourage you, to reward. There's a sense of temptation. The ongoing temptation for me is even if these days I come home late from hard working a day or night, especially training 
Very, very effective counseling session. I come home, even if it's 11 o'clock, I open the refrigerator because my love language is there. Well done! Instead of asking God to be you know, rewarding and affirming, encouraging me, the food. So look at their character. Is a person truly Christ-centered? I'm not kidding. Not in the name of religious services and there seem to be all about God, but look at their lives and their attitudes. It shows. Character comes out. Second Peter 2, verse, verses 2 to 3, uh, Apostle Peter warns us about these false prophets. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And their greed, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is, is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. And America is a free country to do that. And rarely these prosperity gospels get in trouble legally. So they're, after for a certain period of time, they're still back on, on TV. And I think that's a Satan's way of distorting the regular people's view about what Christianity is all about. So when you say, plant the seed of faith for $1,000, I see someone who is suffering financially and marriage. If you plant $1,000 tonight, of course, God will judge them. We will never know their automost motive. Maybe he's not even aware of them. Character. It's so important. Number two. Fruit number two is actually their teaching itself. What about their teaching? They draw people not to the true Savior, but counterfeit Savior, to the wide gate and easy road, not to the narrow gate and difficult Hard road, hard way. They offer easy, man-centered, seeking, self-seeking ways of Christian life. And in some sense, I think temptation of every pastor is to maintain well-visited uh, and well-retained church and how to have visitors come back. And there what not to do, and there's actually full weekend seminar called a sticky conference. How do you make people stick your, your church? These are first thing that you need to do in first seven minutes of visitor decide whether they're going to come back or not because of all this. The culture allows that because there is a Yelp for the churches, right? Because whether we like it or not, even on Google, I think our couple of our church people, well-meaning church people, on Google website, they gave 
a rating. Two, two of our members giving five ratings of five. So their, their teaching is a, to be relevant, to relate, and to even entertain. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we have to be boring church at all. I mean, it is really sinful to bore the people of God with God's word. Oh, this is an important point. They not only teach the wrong things, lies, and unsound doctrines, deviating from the scripture, but I think ours, ours the generation, the popular psychology became a form of a teaching. I think the largest church in America still is that church. The Houston church called it the, um, the pastor's book is called Your Better Life Now. Huh? Your best life right now. And, and uh, thank you. Thank you, Peter. So if, if you don't have, don't, if you don't have heaven to look forward to, yeah, to, today is your best life right now. Life you are on earth is the best life. But compared to, from what scripture says is, the pain and suffering and harsh reality is there. But it's short and momentary because our best life is in heaven. We are ultimately not citizens of the United States, but we are ultimately citizens of God's kingdom. So in light of that, this is a what to watch for. Instead of teaching wrong things, being silent about Things that people do not hear, do not want to hear. What are things that people do not want to hear? That you are a sinner. So some churches actually do not use the word sinner or, you know, you are a sinner. You're, you're a little messed up, but you're not a sinner. Psychologically, you're kind of coming back, right? And actually, we're going to do a series on that. Because this rampant wrong way of teaching have distorted people's view of, I just want some positive message. When I, every, every Sunday I go week after week, and this, this happened to be a Facebook post uh, from a person that I know about, former full-time ministry person, says, I get tired of hearing that I'm a sinner and I can't do anything apart from God. But then God made me. That he called me good. What about goodness? What about my dreams? What about things? So obviously he said, I'm depressed. Every Sunday I'm depressed. I'm just depressed enough to even to post this long post. And there's so many comments coming back with, with that discussion. And some of them are maybe scriptural. And some of them are just, why not you try this? Try our Lutheran church. Try this. Do you hear about sin? Do you hear about hell? Do you hear that you do not hope 
to not have hope apart from God, apart from Christ. And to me, I found it easier said than done. So every week, I have a temptation to be liked by you. To not to lose any people. Especially when, I, when my personality is in the way. Uh, I stutter and I, I'm not a verbal person. And on top of that, I, I just want to sound more likable. So I pray as soon as I come up here. As I'm coming up here, I, should, I ask you to pray for me. That God will give me a, a vigilance, a fear of the Lord, and supernatural boldness that I cannot muster to be faithful in preaching the word of God as I receive it. Coming back to Jeremiah again. Jeremiah speaks the word of God and God himself, the Lord Yahweh himself, speaks this. Jeremiah 6, 13 and 14. From the, from the east to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And they are not business people. And they are from prophet to priest. Everyone deals falsely. And verse 14 is just very relevant thing for us. They have healed the wounds of my people lightly. The cancer going on, they put a band-aid on it. You're fine. Saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. So fruit number one, character. Fruit number two, teaching itself. And then fruit number three is their influence. If you look at any, any teacher, any spiritual leader, we, we should not hurry to make a discernment too quickly and they're human being like us and they have a struggle like us and even for me I, I want I ask you to forbear my style and my way of doing things I may be make, making a mistake sometimes I submit myself to the authority of scripture and to, to the authority of our eldership as well but the important thing is after the time, certain time, the real fruit is their influence. If I am leading right church, we should have full of people who are becoming more like Christ, who are more devoted in, in their walk with God, who are liking the godly things better than worldly things, the materialistic affluence and comfort, who, who love God as most treasured joy. And their lives and marriages are restored rather than going against what God's will about the covenant of marriage and covenant of, of our diligence and faithfulness in our work. 
those are the real fruit. But if you look at false prophets, the people might be just sold out to the teaching, but they become exclusive. For example, if one cannot hear anybody else's teaching, but this person, that's a sure warning sign. Because no preacher has a final authority. Scripture has authority. Even if a very countryside, boring, hard-to-hear preacher, he speaks the word of God, we should be open. But look at the influence. And I fear for, for God's accountability on my heart. And as I'm teaching and leading. Oh, by the way, it could be both ways also too, right? So in our generation, teaching about hard things, holiness of God, godly life, fear of the Lord, those things are hard to teach. But if you go to southern part of some legalistic culture, and there are so many things to observe as a requirement, as if our obedience precedes God's grace, that we earn God's grace by obeying. No, that's actually same th same time false as well. Are we becoming more worldly people? At the same time, are we becoming our, our influence, our church's influence, becoming more legalistic and judgmental church? We should be fearful for that. And ultimately, the church gets damaged. Lasting and much destruction happens. Just think about this. Defenseless sheep without shepherd. And by the way, that's why the shepherds, our elders' job is protecting our, our, our congregation from those false teaching and false lives and false influence, Right? And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life. But these higher people come when they, when they see wolves, they run away. But what happens? Just imagine the destruction. There is no shepherd. The, the gate is opened to the sheep hen. And then ravenous wolves says hungry for is it one one sheep enough? It will destroy the entire flock. That's the most damaging thing about false prophets. So quickly, my time's almost up. The couple of uh, verses and an application. 2 Timothy 2, 17, verse, verses uh, 17 and 18. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among, that, among them are Hermonius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth and saying that resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. In other words, their influence is infectious and spreading rapidly like a wildfire. Second Thessalonians 2, 11 
Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may, they may believe what is false. In other words, this passage is actually pointing out the reason why God allows in his sovereign will false teachers, and even, even in the evil in, in this world, in this church, is that the true prophets and true teachers and true te- teaching will be revealed in such a way we recognize them as that's God-given, that God sent. In the meantime, the harsh reality is we live together. So we are to discern. So quickly, two applications. Number one, we are to discern false teaching by devoting ourselves into knowing the truths of God in Scripture. So I, I think it sounds good for, for me, uh, Paul, we believe in you. We go, we, we're going to just trust whatever you say is true. So we're so thankful that you're, you're devoted to the Scripture, that you're studying the Scripture. It sounds really good, but I have to say, in order to be a true pastor, we ought to be, each one of us, to digging into Scripture. And that's why our the dogged commitment to quiet time, daily quiet time and quiet time sharing is there. We are to learn to real thing, to discern the false. We are to follow real Christ, discern the false. And you, you know the story, famous illustration. I, I think I said this before also to the U.S. official who, whose job is to detect the, any kind of money that is not officially government-made, the counterfeit $100 bills or not. Now, when he was asked, how do you know, how, what do you study? Do you study a lot of different counterfeits and study them? And he actually, his answer was, no, I only look at one thing. For a long time, I study the real money, $100 bill. Every corner of it, study of it. Then as soon as I look at the counterfeit, counterfeit money, I will, I'll be able to detect. It just comes to me. That's the point that we need to make here. Do you know when the fall counterfeit teaching is come on on radio or on books and you, you could actually discern? That sounds not right from Scripture. We need to do that. Number two, we are to stay awake spiritually and be watchful in testing the spirits and false prophets. The idea is, unless we become watchful, vigilant, we will not know what's coming at us. Let me give you an example. You have a five-year-old son or daughter. Daughter sounds better because more, more uh, worry there, okay? Five-year-old daughter in the street and playing with this, you know, like a playground. Would you be doing your Facebook and texts all the time? Or would you be, especially having heard kidnap stories, would you be paying attention to your child? 
Who's talking to her? Of course we will. But in, in church and teaching, it's kesera, sera. Oh, that person sounds good and encouraging. So no wonder we will not even distinguish the wisdom of man, which is I love TED Talks. Believe me. They're short in 20 minutes only, 15 to 20 minutes. And the top-notch skilled people, world-renowned people speak. And we expect that same thing. Then my question is, are we even aware of the power of God's word? Supernatural and supreme authority of God's wisdom revealed in scripture? Or do we really think this pragmatic worldly wisdom is it? May God give us fear today. And I, my prayer for each one of us is that we will pursue real Christ. That we will have real intimate relationship with God. That our hearts is filled with the word of God, which is sharper than two-edged sword, to, to be able to discern and penetrate even the deeper things. Then our church will be led by the Spirit. Our church will be joyful even the hard teaching comes. Our church will know the secret and, and pleasure of God's wisdom. And we'll cling to that. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for your wisdom and thank you for clarity of this teaching. Lord Jesus, thank you for this sermon which has been tr transformational. We pray for our church and ourselves that you will continually keep us closer to the truth and your scripture in spite of changing world and values of our generation. And we pray also that you will give us as eyes of vigilance to be watchful. To know what's good and what's harmful to our soul each day. And may the God of Israel guide our church and even this transitional time as we're waiting for the facility expansion expansion is done that we may look to you as our guide filled with joy and thankfulness rather than grumbling and complaints and we love you Lord we seek to you as our guide pray all these things in the name of the Father of the Son of the Holy Spirit Amen